Welcome to For the Love of Dharma. I'm so happy you're here. My name is Heather Love, and I'm one of the first certified Dharma coaches in the world. This podcast will help you be more joyful, remember your purpose, and live life on your terms. Get ready to get inspired. Here we go. Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for being here today. I have an interesting topic for you on this episode. Maybe you've heard of it, but I had not. Grief yoga is a form of yoga, but it's also a little different. Grief yoga can help you lean into feelings that come along with events in your life that can feel painful and sad. It meets you where you're at to help you feel safe and secure, give you a sense of belonging, and help you learn to express your grief in a healthy way. Today's guest is Paige Park. She's been a special education teacher for 24 years. Her grief journey began with her divorce, followed by the death of both of her parents, and then the death of her brother, all within a relatively short time span. Understandably, she experienced a lot of grief and had waves of emotions. During this time, she felt alone. She didn't resonate with support groups. But it was through yoga that she was able to integrate her grieving feelings into who she is so that when feelings of grief would come, she knew what to do and how to be with them. If you have ever struggled with grief at any point in your life, this might be the thing that helps you move through it. So without further ado, let's get started and welcome Paige to the show. Hi, Paige. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you and your listeners. I am so happy you're here and we will dive into all things yoga. But first, I like to have my guest pick either blue or red, and I will ask you a question from a blue book or a red book, depending on what you choose. Let's go red. It's feeling spicy today, so... (laughs) What fact do you tell people about yourself that most people think is a lie? My age. Mm, I get that one too, in in the best way. Like they all think I'm younger. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) in the best way. I am significantly older than how people perceive me. And it's kind of fun, actually. I'll have, I teach at a high school and I'll have kids be like, no, there's no way. You're not that old. And I'll pull out my license and show them. They're like, there's no, that's just not, you know, like, it's right there. And don't you think, um, without knowing how old you are, but I think we're around the same age. Don't you think when we were younger, when we were kids, that people who were like in their forties and fifties seemed like ancient and like now forties and fifties, I'm like, oh my God, you look like you're 25. Yeah. I, my forties and now fifties are some of the best years of my life. Mm-hmm. And no, I, it, but then I'll also see friends from like high school or people that I knew back in the day that I graduated with. And I was like, how'd you, why do you, why, why, why do you look so old? Like what's up with that? It speaks to how people are living their lives. Right. Yes, and so. I was floored. I just read not all that long ago that like the golden girls and I forget which one, but one of them was in their quote unquote forties when the when the show was recorded. That's how old their character was, was in their forties. And I think the rest of them were in their fifties. And I was like, oh my God, they look like they're in their seventies, eighties. Like there is yeah. no way. Well, and I wonder if maybe there was a little Hollywood magic that kind of went into that as well 
to help age them a little bit and make them look older. Cause yeah, I don't feel like a golden girl. I love the golden girls. I think they're awesome, (laughs) but I I don't, I don't feel like that. I don't even feel like a grandma and my oldest, not oldest, the youngest stepdaughter, former stepdaughter. I'm not married anymore. She's expecting a child. And the other one, like, like they're both old enough to have kids. And I'm like, I don't feel like a grandma. Like there's no grandma's old. Like I almost (laughs) feel like my mom. And she had grandkids. I mean, my mom wasn't that old, but she just had that. I was like, no, nah, I'm too young for this. Mm-hmm. Well, it just goes to show you're living your best life. So I love Absolutely. that. So tell me a little bit about what was Paige like as a child? What was your personality like? What did you like to do as a kid? Paige was, she was fun, but she was very quiet. And I don't know exactly when all of that kind of started. She was kind of quiet, kind of introverted, but she loved to sing. She loved to dance. She twirled the baton. She made up little shows in her room. She would also teach class. So my mom was um, a teacher and she had some uh, teacher's editions of books from when she taught. Cause when I was a kid growing up, she was no longer active in the classroom and I would take her books and I would have my friends and we would have like music class. And <laughs> so it's kind of funny that I became a teacher, but yeah, that's what she was like. She was fun. Did you always want to be a teacher when you were a kid? No, I wanted to be an engineer. That was my dad's job. My dad was a civil engineer and I wanted to be like him and be an engineer. And then when I actually applied to school, I applied to computer programming technology. It was really good. My computer class, I went to high school in the eighties and my computer class in high school was programming. And I was one of the top three students in the class. The three of us were always vying for like who scored best on the test, who got their program done first, just stupid stuff like that. I wrote a program um, for my dad's business. A lot of people don't know this about me. I wrote a program for my dad's business to figure payroll when I was 17, 18, 19 in that age range. It worked quite well, I might add. So I was really good at that. But a local elementary school caught fire my senior year in high school, and they put all of the kids in my building. I was in a class that needed volunteer hours, so I would pick them up from the special ed room, the mild disabilities room, the resource room, and I would drop them at their general ed classrooms because they needed like an escort through the high school. And then sometimes I would pick them up from their classrooms and take them to the resource room. Well, I got to be really close to this resource teacher, and I would come in and volunteer in her class. When I had study hall and other things going on, I went for a day on campus and changed my major to elementary education. And then because of those experiences with that particular teacher, she made a very profound impact on my life. I ended up changing to a special ed major. So I'm a very one of the very few, there are not a lot of us out there who actually majored in special education, mild disabilities mm. as my degree. Yeah. And that is so needed out here in the world. Is that still what you do today? That's my day job. It's not, it used to be my love, but it has gotten so difficult to be an educator in today's world. And I'm getting too old to do that, like to just deal with the garbage that kind of goes along with it. So, uh, no, I teach yoga and I am looking to become a full-time yoga teacher and run my business full-time instead of the split life that I'm currently amazing. <laughs> it's I love my, I love my students. It's not the kids. It's all the bureaucracy 
Um, and especially with special education, I'm not really a teacher anymore. I'm a case manager. I'm a paper pusher. And I do interact with my kids more than actually do paperwork, but not really supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine how hard that is because, you know, working with the kids is why you got into this. And then when you spend so much time not doing that thing that you loved, I can understand how difficult that would be. And then school culture has become such a different place than it used to be when I started. I have two kids and just seeing how life is at their school versus when I was a kid. I mean, it's night and day and being a kid these days is is tough. Being a teacher is tough. Yeah. Like being both is very hard. We had a pep that's homecoming this past week has been homecoming week. The homecoming dances tonight. I teach high school and we had a pep session yesterday and I had kids coming up to me saying, what's a pep session? Wow. (laughs) You don't know what this is. Like I know when I was in middle school, we were always so excited to get to high school and get to do like the pep sessions and the um, dances and all of the things that it was just, it was something to really look forward to. We all knew what it was. Yeah. I have kids. I had no idea. What's a pep session. Well, that's amazing. (laughs) Okay. So now your love, your passion is yoga. And I know you specialize in something called grief yoga. So can you tell me what that is and how is it different from regular yoga? It's not that different from regular yoga. It's more intention around grief. All of my classes are themed around grief. And the movement that we do has grief as a filter. So any yoga pose can be a grief yoga pose. It's just the intention with how you use it. And so I thoughtfully combine the theme with specific postures for a specific purpose. Really, when you go to a yoga class, there is a purpose around why you're doing the movement that you're doing. Mine just happens to all be directed toward grief. I do a lot of breath work and the breath kind of also goes into like, I'll teach different styles of breath work to help the nervous system, things that you could use during a yoga class or out in life. Hey, I'm having a moment. I call them grief moments. I'm having a grief moment. I need to pause. I need to breathe. Here's a tool that I can use. Sometimes you can see it. Sometimes you might want to go to the bathroom and do it. Sometimes people will think you're crazy. It depends um, (laughs) on which tool you choose, but I I need to breathe. I'm going to choose one of these tools that I learned in yoga class. And I'm going to use that to help bring my body back so that I can process what I'm feeling right now. Um, So it's all about sitting with the grief, holding the grief, processing the grief, because grief never changes. When a grief event happens in your life, it's always there. It's always with you. You change. You become different. You learn to hold the grief in a different way than you did before. That makes sense to me because anytime anything significant has happened in my life where I have felt grief, I can still think about it. And like, it it can make me sad if I, you know, if I think about it in a certain way, but generally I try to think about things about that event or that person or that thing that made me happy because I've changed how I'm viewing it. So So grief self doesn't change and you evolve. So how did you get started on this path? Well, that's an interesting story. (laughs) It's kind of twofold. Well, with a little bit of a third. Nine years ago, my divorce was final. 
five months after my divorce was final, my mother was diagnosed with a glioblastoma multiform. And about six or seven, I think, years before my mom's diagnosis, my dad had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. It might have been less than that. It might have been four or five, but a few years prior to my mom's diagnosis made. So mom was dad's caregiver. My mom died nine months after her resection surgery. So wow. she went from fine to I have a brain tumor to I'm gone in nine months. Oh my gosh. My dad, we knew that it would, because every time something had happened, my dad would decrease and then he would never re-recover. He would maybe come up a little bit, but he would never go back to that previous baseline. There was always a new baseline established. So if something would happen, he would go down, he might stall where he was, and then he would go down again if something else happened. And so we knew because my parents were also high school sweethearts. Um, they were together more of their lives than they were apart. So we knew when mom died that dad probably wouldn't be too far behind. We just didn't know how long he lasted two years. And then surprisingly, two years later, my oldest brother died. So in a six year time span, my mom, my dad, and my brother passed away. Oh my gosh. And we dealt with, you know, we had to scale down mom and dad's house. We had to sell their house, take care of their estate. My brother had stuff that needed to be taken care of. Like his estate took two years to deal with. So in addition to all of that, then you have all of the other things that kind of get piled on top of that of the doing. So like the doing of grief, the things that kind of go around it. Yoga came back into my life. I took my first yoga class as a PE credit in college. I loved PE in college because I got to take things like yoga and dance and personal defense. And I don't remember what else. Oh, I think I took an aerobics class, but I don't know what I was thinking with that one. <laughs> aerobics. I thought maybe because I was in college and I was enjoying PE that it would be different, but it wasn't. So ever since that time, it kind of wove its way in and out of my life. Like it would come back in. I would do some yoga for a little while and then it would slide back out for a little while because I would have other things that took my time, attention and focus. When I was going through my divorce, I was using the breath and that's when I really discovered the power of breath work and breathing and tapping into your breath. And then after my dad passed away, I had been powerlifting um, and the gym I was going to close. I tried to powerlift on my own for a little while, but it was just becoming way too stressful and a friend of mine suggested that I needed to find something else to do. Well, in the middle of all of that, my school corporation partnered with a local yoga studio and started doing classes. And I started taking those classes. She was wonderful. I loved her classes so much. I joined the studio and I would go three or four times a week um, to not just that class, but also other classes. And she is actually, we had lots of conversations about yoga and in school and using yoga with students. And she's the one who encouraged me to get my 200 hour yoga teacher training. I was supposed to do it with her spring of 2020, but she moved it to the fall. And actually, I think she ended up canceling it altogether. I couldn't do it in the fall when she had moved it to because it coincided with the beginning of school. And that is a completely ridiculous time of year because we have like moving conferences and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so it just ends up being completely overwhelming. So I knew that that wouldn't be a good fit. So I went looking somewhere else and I found soul work and signed up to go to Costa Rica in July of 2020. 
to do yoga teacher training at this cool farm with all these, yeah, with this like sustainable housing and all this really cool stuff. And yeah, I didn't make it to Costa Rica, <sighs> obviously. Um, Costa Rica was closed in July of 2020. And my teacher ended up flipping her model to an online. Um, so I was in her first class of 200 hour uh, yoga teachers. I was in her first class of 300 hour yoga teachers. I did a yin yoga teacher training and I was in her first class of children's yoga teacher training as well. It wasn't planning on starting a business, wasn't planning on teaching even a year ago. If you told me a year ago, in a year, you will be teaching grief yoga. I would have said, you're crazy. Because a year ago, I thought I would just be working with kids, which I still want to work with kids, but the grief just kind of got added in and made sense. So in February of this year, one of my friends looked at me and said, hey, Paige, you need to teach grief yoga. And I went, wait, what? No, was my immediate response. But over the last few years, I've gotten to know myself very well. And I know when I have that deep, intense, no response that I need to sit with it and I need to uncover it and I need to find out what's actually there. Is it an actual no or is it a no I'm scared out of my mind? And it was a no I'm scared out of my mind. Why on earth would I want to teach people who are in grief, but I honestly, I love it. I've learned so much about myself as a person, as a teacher, as a griever. I've learned so much from my students about grief, about not, I don't want to say how to grieve, but about different ways to grieve. Let's put it that way about the different ways to grieve and have created, or at least continue to work on creating a space where people can feel safe and uncomfortable coming who they are as they are with whatever grief is bringing up for them, whether it be joy, sadness, anger, doesn't matter. It all can be grief. So giving them that space where they can just be, and there's no judgment around how they feel or what they're experiencing, no matter how long it's been, even if it's been like me eight years since I lost my mom. That's amazing. I think that people in general feel like there's a right and wrong way to grieve and that there's a time limit on, you know, oh my gosh, it's been a year. Aren't you over that thing yet? You know? And so I love that you're saying there's, there's no rules. There's no right and wrong. It all is good. It's all perfect. I assume that by what you're saying, when we have something that is traumatic or that we experience grief from, it stays in our body. So is what you do essentially just kind of moving it through our body or how would you explain it? Yeah, I would explain it as it helps move that through your body. So oftentimes when we experience something, especially if we suppress the feelings and emotions or whatever is going on, it will get stuck in our tissues and in different areas of our body. And um, so what I do helps break it loose and move it through. And then we can deal with what's underneath. Sometimes there's more underneath oftentimes because we do suppress our feelings a lot. Um, there's a lot underneath. So there's many, many layers to it. I do. I work with people oftentimes who have had compounded grief kind of like I have. So when you have multiple grief events and you put them all together, there's many, 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 many layers there. You said that we never actually get rid of grief. So what mm -hmm. happens to it through what you do? Where does it go? It stays with us. It's just the way we see it is perceived differently. So the emotions of grief will dissipate, but the actual grief itself, because 
when you've experienced a loss, that loss is with you. It's always there. Your response to the loss is what changes. When you've experienced loss, learning to live life in the face of that loss becomes different. If it's a family member or a child, holidays become different. Birthdays become different. Death anniversaries are things that you remember. So taking those feelings around, we don't mess with the, the grief is just the grief it's there, but grief can express itself in a variety of different feelings. So we work with the feelings. We work with the feelings. We work with the emotions. We work with our perception of those and allow that to move out of the body and through the body. Mm, that's beautiful. So in what ways, if people don't tend to their grief and they do suppress it, how does that manifest in your body? Like what are some of the symptoms that can show up? Depends on the person. For me, it was high blood pressure. It was anxiety or feelings of anxiety. It was feelings of anxiety that never went away until I started in on these practices. I also, during the time period, my parents were the three year specific and even into dealing with my parents' estate where they were sick and then dealing with the estate. There was that everything that could go wrong did kind of scenario. And so I, being a teacher, I got in the habit of thinking I'd have A, B plans, A, B, and C planned out. And oftentimes I would actually have through plan E, maybe even F, occasionally G and H already thought through when we might be on plan B. So I was working and thinking so far ahead. And I did that for such an extended period of time as a caregiver that my body didn't know how to come back to baseline. My body didn't know how to come back to, and I stayed in that kind of elevated, anxious state, even after all of the anxious things were gone. It can come about in different ways. Like oftentimes it'll be physical symptoms. Um, it can be uh, depression, anxiety. So mental health kinds of concerns. It really just depends on the person. So sometimes if you go to the doctor, you've experienced grief, you've stuffed your grief and you go to the doctor because something is happening. It might be that, but it also might be grief. Like it could be both. That makes so much sense. Thank you for explaining that because I think that some people think that if they aren't outwardly expressing some sort of physical reaction, that they're fine. But I like what you said about it can be mental health. It can be anxiety. It can be depression. It can be all of those things. And in the same token, it can be the other way. Like you may not be expressing any anxiety, but Mm -hmm. physically you can be having something. Or it could be a combination or it might not like If you manage the feelings and emotions in a way that allows them to express and be, you won't have any of that. If that comes up, then it's something else. It's not this, if that Mm. makes sense. So when someone signs up for your course, what do they go through? Like, talk me through, what does that look like? So right now I have my class set up into six week sessions. So when you sign up for my class, you sign up for six weeks. Um, Dates are already on the calendar. They are subject to change because life happens. I try and keep it as consistent as possible. And I try and plan as much ahead as I can, but you sign up for those specific dates. If there is some reason I would need to change, I will always add another. So like if I have to miss one, 
let's say I get sick. So let's say I get sick. I can't physically do a class one week. Then I will tack one onto the end so that in those six weeks, I have them divided into different themes. So my current class theme is we're looking at the different areas of yoga or paths of yoga. That's the word. We're looking at the different paths of yoga and how those paths can support us in grief. So like Hatha yoga, karma yoga, tantra yoga. There's a couple of others that I'm forgetting, um, but those different things and how they can support us in grief. And so all of the, each theme, each week was themed around a different path. I say was, cause we only have one left in this series right now. And then all of the movement that went with that class and breath and meditation that went with that class was surrounded by that particular theme. And then, so I've got one set and I don't remember off the top of my head, which one's what. So we've got one series that's going to be the eight limbs of yoga, because there's actually eight branches to yoga, not just the physical movement is one of them. It's one of the eight. So we're going to look at the eight limbs of yoga and grief. We're going to look at the energetic body in two different ways. So yoga has two different ways. It sees the energetic body. It sees the chakra system. So one of them is going to be the chakras. And then another one is going to be the koshas, which are these like layers starts with the physical layer and then goes out, but I have it divided for the rest of the year. Oh, that's amazing. I one full year. So it started in late August. And so it'll go until like early August, I think next year. Oh, that's so cool. I have not ever studied yoga. I've never done a yoga class. So I'm not familiar with, I had no idea that there were so many different layers and pieces. Mm -hmm. I am familiar with the chakra system and koshas because I learned that as part of my Dharma coaching. We talked about doshas and koshas and all those things. So that was super interesting, but I love that there's so many different pieces of this yoga puzzle. So it's not just physical and it's not just mental. It is a combination. Yeah. It's, it's physical, mental and breath actually. And then there are like in the eight limbs, those are three of the eight limbs. The mental though actually covers four limbs. Oh, if that, so what does that tell you about the mental piece? (laughs) So, um, like meditation and it, it covers because there's withdrawal of the senses, then there's connecting to the body, then there's meditation. And then there's like beyond meditation. So that like a bliss mode that, um, the koshas kind of cover as well. So there's a little bit of overlap there. And then the first two limbs are actually the way you should interact or ways to interact with others and the ways should that, to interact with yourself, mm. which are, they're beautiful. They're, they're called the yamas and the niyamas. And it's just a beautiful way of living and being and interacting with the world around you. And like I said, and your, and yourself, like all of those can apply, not just to others. Um, even the, yamas, which are the way you interact with the world, but it can also be the way you interact with yourself because oftentimes we're so hard on ourselves, especially people who are in grief because everybody's got an opinion about how you grieve and the way you should grieve and what it should look like and all of the things. And that's why I like to talk about it because it's not, there is no way. There's no one way there's your way. And that's the right way for you. And so I like to help kind of break some of those barriers down and start that conversation 
Um, thankfully, I have a bunch of people in my life that like to do that too. So it's kind of fun that I know, like once I started doing this work, so many people have come into my life with the same ideas about, Hey, let's talk about, let's talk about grief. Let's talk about death. Let's talk about these hard to discuss topics because they need to come more common. We need to have these conversations. Absolutely. So after the six weeks, what are some of the transformations you've seen with people? I see a lightness sometimes after one or two sessions, my clients this week, they were like, we only have one week left. No. (laughs) And I divided it into six weeks so that I can have breaks and I can be, because I run this business by myself so that I can be fresh and clean and available. And instead of, cause I did a daily class for a while and it just was too, it was too overwhelming for just me. So I was like, okay, well let's do this. And then I can have little breaks and I'm setting up my private clients to the same six weeks so that I'm off of everything for that little two or three week time period. And then pick it back up lighter, better able to manage their feelings and emotions off of the mat out in the real world, out in the real world. They have tools that they can use out in the world when they're off their mat. Mm, That's so important. Yes. Becoming at peace with themselves and their grief, knowing that they're not alone. And now it's like, it's not therapy, but it is therapeutic in nature. If that makes sense. If you understand the distinction. Yeah, totally. It's true. Like one of my clients, she tried talk therapy. She tried this, she tried that and everything. She was like, it was all re-traumatizing. Yeah. This has been the only thing that has brought about change for her and the way she's able to manage her grief and her life. And she has, like I said, most of the people that come to me, not all, but a lot of the people that come to me have compounded. And she had three or four grief events that happened in like a year, Mm. which is a lot. Yeah. I, I think that's an important distinction too. just talking about therapy and the different kinds. There are people who benefit from talk therapy and that's great, but there's a whole big population of people that that just doesn't work. And like you said, it just re-traumatize. It's like they relive it all and they, they mm-hmm. set them back. So I, I love that this is an option for people. Yeah, it absolutely an option for people who maybe talk therapy isn't working. Or And I do also have clients who also go to talk therapy and do this or do other therapies and do this because they found that that combination of things helps them. So it doesn't have to be the only thing. It could be one of several things. And I do get, it's so fun. I do get people who say, but I've never had a, I don't have a yoga practice. I've never practiced yoga before. Every single one of my clients that have come to me has not had a yoga practice before they started with me. Mm. I have one client now. She's been with me from the beginning. So she started with me in February. She's now setting up a little sacred space in her basement. And when she doesn't come to class, she does like 10 to 15 minutes of yoga a day herself. And that she's setting up this like sweet little space for herself in her life to do that. And that's beautiful to just take that little bit of time out for you. And oftentimes, especially as caregivers of those who are in the process of dying, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't because we're focusing on the other person. We're focusing on the grief and what's going on with them and how to help them and setting up appointments and doing all of the things that we don't really do anything for ourselves. I know I was very guilty of this. 
I got up, went to work, went and saw my parents. Like that was my life for almost three years. I finally started drawing some lines and doing some things to take care of myself because I went, I'm going to burn out if I keep doing this. And so I did change some things within that, but, and I stopped going to see my mom every day. I would take days off here or there. I think I went, got to the point where I was like going every other day um, because it was going every day was not sustainable. Yeah, that's such a great point because I think we are told by society that burnout is normal and you should just keep going and it's not normal and it's so not good for you. So I'm glad that you recognize it. Yeah. And I still ended up with, even with recognizing that in the middle of it, I still ended up with some physical symptoms later from that time period. So yeah, those are, did that answer your question? I think I tangented a little bit there. (laughs) No, it's good. So you mentioned that you do these six week programs and you take time off in between to kind of rejuvenate yourself. What did those couple of weeks look like? What are you doing to get yourself back in alignment? This is brand new. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I just started this. I, the last, cause I took a two week break before I started this. So it was right at the beginning of the school year. So I did school. I kind of took care of myself at night. Um, I have my own yoga and meditation practice, more meditation practice. I don't often have a physical movement practice, but breath and meditation um, is a big part of my life. I journal, I write, I do write poetry. Some haven't written for no weeks, a couple of, I wrote a poem a couple weeks ago. So I do those things, but some of those are daily practices that I do all the time. Um, meditation is a daily practice. I journal a little bit every day. Um, so that is a daily practice, but I take time to write. I take time to connect back in with myself, to give myself a little self-love. My schedule doesn't always allow for me to go to yoga classes because I'm teaching or private clients or have other things going on after school. Um, so taking time to like go to a class or take a workshop or do some of those kinds of things to help increase and improve my person, my practice so that I can serve my clients better. This next one I'm hoping to move. So during part of the break, that doesn't sound very relaxing though, <laughs> yes, but it's going to lead to relaxation because I'm drastically downsizing. So I'm going from a 1600 square foot house to an approximately 300 square foot half of the house. You're going to have to get rid of some stuff. (laughs) I'm selling just about everything and then purchasing things that will fit in the space because most of my furniture won't fit in the space. So yeah, I'm doing that, which isn't relaxing, but it's going to lead to a shift in lifestyle, which is going to be a very needed and b just exactly right. And there's something to be said for it kind of clearing out all your old shit and like starting over and starting fresh. Like I, I always love how that feels to just get rid of all of it and start over. And I've not, I sort of done it when my ex-husband and I divorced, but I've picked up a lot of my parents' stuff. I'm getting rid of a lot of that. And how does that, how do you do that? So this leads me to just a completely different topic, but when some people are very sentimental and they want to hang on to the thing because they have a memory attached to it. So how do you get rid of the thing and still keep the memory? That was totally me. I have so many things I like, but I can't because it's mom's. And now I'm like, okay, it's time to let it go. 
it just, you have to shift your, your mindset at some point. Um, hang on to the thing until you shift, I would say, because okay. that's what I did. I hung on to the thing and I'm like, I can't carry the thing anymore. And so I'm getting rid of it. And, it and doesn't... I'm keeping, not that, and not that I'm getting rid of everything. Like I'm keeping the most important pieces for me. I'm keeping all of the photos because I would never, my mom lived with a camera around her neck. Mm. And every time there was a family event, get together so I can take a picture. And we would roll our eyes and groan. And now I'm so grateful for all of those pictures. I did a little one day retreat with my yoga teacher. She did a virtual retreat a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I cleared my entire day I set every, it was a Sunday and I set everything up. I turned my phone in airplane mode so I could use the music if I needed it. I, and I set my space up so that I could do it. By the way, I highly recommend you have the opportunity to do something like that. It was basically a silent retreat, but it was me in my house. I don't have anyone in my house to talk to. It's just the dogs. <laughs> I do believe I conversed with them a couple of times, but it was more, do you want to go outside? Do you want to come in? And, and they don't reply. So it wasn't really a conversation. It was more me talking to myself. One of the pieces was she had us go through and pick 50 pictures from the last year that w- brought us gratitude, like made us smile or things that we were grateful for. Cause we did like this whole gratitude journal and stuff as a part of what we were doing. And I went through And I'm like, I learned I need to take more pictures. I need to be more like my mother because it was really hard to find 50 pictures over a year. So yeah, the pictures aren't going anywhere. But I have other things and I am keeping the jewel, some of the jewelry, but some is going to go away. So like I have my mom's wedding beyond. I'm going to keep that. I have a couple of rings from my grandmother. I'm going to keep those. However, grandma's china that might have lead paint in it. I'm (laughs) going to go ahead and let that go. I have a little cabinet over here to my right that is full of things like crystal serving dishes. And I think I'm going to keep two or three and the rest is going to go. And I'm selling the cabinet, which Mm. was my mother's and aunt's before her. And I love the cabinet, but it's not going to fit in the new space. So I'm I'm actually going to offer it to family members, see if they want it first. And if they don't want it, I'm going to sell it. And you could take um, a picture of it before you sell it. Oh, I will. And I've downsized what was in the cabinet once already. When I moved into the place that I'm in now, I got rid of a lot of the, because I like the glass things, but there was a lot of um, silver and I got rid of the silver. I love what you said about pictures. I think it's such a good reminder for all of us. I am more like your mother. I take a ridiculous amount of pictures. And now it's so easy with the cell phone, right? But my kids are always like, oh, I'm like, I just want a picture. I want a picture. Okay, one more. Okay, last one. And it's never the last one. But, you know, I could find 50 pictures probably from the last two weeks. So <laughs> really, really bad about it. I'm trying to get better. So trying to get better, trying to channel my inner Sharon, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paige, this was so much fun. We learned so much about yoga. I would love for you to tell my listeners where is the best place they can find you. You can find me one of three locations. I am on Instagram at Tulsi Rose Yoga, Facebook, the same name. And Tulsi is T-U-L-S-I. I'm hoping links will be in the show notes. Yes, I will put everything um, in the show website. notes. Thank you. TulsiRoseYoga.com. I do have a little guide. So if you're feeling a little overwhelmed with grief and you want some quick tips that you can do right now, 
if you put a forward slash and un- type the words, the number five and the word things, that will get you a five things to do when you're overwhelmed with grief. Fantastic. I will definitely link all of that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And before I let you go, I like to ask my guests five rapid fire questions, meaning you don't have to answer quickly. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. And it's so my listeners can get to know you a little better. Love it. What is your favorite birthday or holiday memory for either you or someone else? I'm going to go me. My parents audio taped a Christmas one year, and I think I was four or five, maybe six at the most. And you hear me, I come down the hallway and you hear me yell, Tigger, really, (laughs) really, really loud because I got a stuffed Tigger that year for Christmas. And I always liked how bouncy he was. I love Tigger, but I will say my favorite is Eeyore. I have had a fascination with Eeyore since I was a newborn. My very first stuffed animal was this stuffed Eeyore that played music. And I think I might still have him somewhere. I think as an adult, I have a better appreciation for Eeyore and just love him so much. Whereas as a kid, I didn't quite connect with him. Yeah, yeah. All right. The first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word play. Oh my gosh. Fun. Let's go now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What is something you're excited about right now? I'm excited about moving. Is it close by? Like, do you have to like hire movers and all that jazz? Probably not because I'm not taking a whole lot with me. And then I will have new furniture coming, but I figure I'll probably just either have someone help me if it's something that I need to pick up, I'll pick it up here and just deliver it straight there or I'll have it delivered there. Beautiful. All right. What does the world need more of? Kindness and love. I couldn't agree more. And last question, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Be gentle with yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. You don't have to be perfect. Just allow things to be. Well, Paige, thank you so much for being here. I learned so much from you today and really love talking to you. Thank you. I had such a great time chatting. One of the reasons that I love doing this show so much is because I am constantly learning new things and talking with people that I never would have met otherwise. It truly brings me so much joy to be able to have conversations that can help others and possibly even change someone's life. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and follow to my show wherever you listen to podcasts. In a world where numbers matter, by subscribing to this show, you will help my show become more visible to others. Thanks so much for listening. Have a magical day. This podcast episode is brought to you by Prompts to Purpose, my free workbook that will help you stop spinning your wheels and start remembering your gifts. Inside, you'll find 25 journal prompts to get you thinking about things in a new way so that you can find your purpose and start living the life of your dreams. If you're ready to dive in, get on my email list by clicking on the link in the show notes or in my Instagram bio, and I'll send it over. Come on in and see what everyone is talking about.